0: Hey, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I live in a city called Davis. It's a college town. 40,000 college students. Uh, university, has anybody heard of UC Davis? Yeah. Top 10 university in the nation. Number one uh, school in, a, in the world for veterinary medicine. Uh, it's just a phenomenal place and everybody is like uber brilliant. And somehow God calls me there. And it's been a really cool journey pastoring a church there, uh, seeing a lot of young people come to know Jesus, begin to follow him, really rooting in their faith. Like there's, here's some good news. I've pastored in two college cities the, the young generations are coming to Jesus. Like, that's amazing. With the complexity of life and social media and, you know, everything that's happening in this world, you just see this, this soul hunger for something more. And uh, it's happening. It's beautiful And I'm excited to be a part of the conference this weekend. And I'm very, very glad to be here with you teaching Galatians tonight. So we're in Galatians chapter 5. I'd love to talk about the fruit of the Spirit as a lead-in to how we change. Uh, One of the core desires of the human heart, one of the frustrations of the human heart is, how do we change? Don't you ever have those days where you're like, God, I wish this cycle wasn't a part of my life. I'm so discouraged, frustrated. I feel down, defeated, because there's this thing in my life that I keep going back to or I'm intentionally trying to change, but somehow it's evasive in my life. And we wrestle inside with questions like, who am I becoming? Who do I want to become? And is my life... More and more, progressively over time, reflecting the nature of Jesus. These are essential questions to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus, particularly around the reality that change is so important as a follower of Jesus. And yet, sometimes we feel this disconnect, right? Like, anybody with me? Like, I feel it all the time. And there's this process of becoming like Jesus, and it's called this theological term, sanctification. Sanctification is essentially formation. God forming our lives to become like Jesus. And when you read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5 is a window into what it looks like to be like Jesus. That list... Of virtues, all of those character qualities are essentially character qualities of Jesus that he wants to form inside of us. And so, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 uses a metaphor called the fruit of the Spirit about how we become like Jesus. Think about fruit. When I think about the fruit of the Spirit, I think about Psalm chapter 1, that famous psalm that God is like, I want you to be like a tree. Planted by water and flourishing. Like God's heart for us is that as our life progresses, as we follow Jesus, we would be like a tree planted by a water source, constantly filling up with spiritual nutrients so that we can produce fruit more and more in our life, which essentially mirrors who Jesus is. So, Uh, First thing I want to do in this passage, it's Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23. Many of us are familiar with this, uh, but if you're not familiar, let's get you familiar. So the context of Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23 really is this. First of all, there's two contrasting ways of life described in this passage. The first uh, way of life is this, life according to the flesh. Now, people automatically say, well, what is the flesh, right? That's a great question. The flesh comes from a Greek term, sarks, And sarx really is this picture or idea in the New Testament of our life bent away from God. Or some people say our sinful proclivities or desires inside of us that are contrary to what God wants for our life. And this way of life also has fruit. Uh, not good fruit but unhealthy fruit. There, there are things that are produced inside of us when we live our life according to the flesh. And they're kind of categorized in this way. If you're a note taker, write this down. If you're not a note taker, hey, you could start tonight and write it down anyways. Uh, number one, verse 19, sensual sins. So these are, these are produced when we live our life in the flesh Number two, religious sins, verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft. The sensual sins are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. And then the third category are relational sins. This is where he gets into, in verses 20 and 21, uh, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. These are all relational Sins and then there's this other category. Maybe you have a like great uh, phrase for this, but I just say other sins. Verse 21. He says in verse 21. Notice he says drunkenness, orgies, and the like, which means there's a lot more. This is just an illustrated example of life lived bent away from God. The second category of life contrasting ways of life is not life lived according to the flesh, but life according to the spirit. And this is where he begins to describe all the fruit. When you walk in the spirit, when you live by the spirit, when you're led by the spirit, the fruit that is produced inside of you is love, peace, patience, kindness, joy, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is life lived by the spirit. And what's interesting about our culture today, you see see a desire in culture. I'm talking about non-Christian spheres and atmospheres. You see a desire for both of these things in culture. You see people that don't know Jesus saying, we need more love. We need more peace. We need more gentleness. Gentleness is like the relational orientation that young people want in our culture with those who lead them. It's the number one desire. In fact, Rick Warren, uh, one of my friends worked for Rick Warren and uh, was a teaching pastor at Saddleback. And they did a massive study in their church of every young person in their church. They said, what is the number one character quality that you guys are looking for in a leader now? Number one, top of the list, gentleness. Gentleness. Not an incredible speaker. Not, you know, a a charismatic leader. They were looking for a gentle leader. Which is something that we should reflect, right? As the way of Jesus. But there's there's this bent toward some of these characteristics on the life lived according to the flesh. And then some of these characteristics in life lived according to the spirit. Which is quite interesting in our culture. And ultimately what Paul is talking about here is how do we change? How do I become like Jesus? How do I live my life in symmetry and harmony with God's desire for my life, God's will for my life? So I want to start with this. How people think we change but aren't actually the way of Jesus around change. So write it this way. Change does not take place through, and I'm going to give you a list. If you're ready, say, I'm so ready, Wesley. Wesley. Amazing. I love you guys. Uh, First of all, change does not take place through appearance. Christ's likeness is not achieved through outward religiosity or outward appearance. Because here's the thing about appearance. You and I can appear one way on the outside, but be the opposite on the inside. We don't want to make this our mode of change. This isn't the pathway, the avenue that God has for us. Secondly, change does not take place through approval. Christ-likeness is not achieved through living our life for the approval of everyone around us. Because you guys know that some of us are bent toward approval, right? You can gain approval from the people around you, the people in your circles, your cliques, your you know, your friends, your homies, whatever you call, you call them, you can gain the approval of people and that be the opposite of Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily form you. It's something that we're trying to do externally. It might be something opposite of who we are as a person, what we value. We try to do it externally to meet the requirements of the people around us so they, they relationally affirm us. That's not a healthy way to change. It's not good for our soul. Uh, change does not take place through achievement. Christ's likeness is not achieved through personal effort alone. Yes, we have volition and will and we have a choice, but ultimately, without the Spirit of God, without Jesus in our life, we can try as hard as we possibly can and exert effort. And still not become like Jesus. Change does not take place through affluence. Right? Some of us are like, wow, if I had enough money, I could go to all the spas and all the treatment things and all the stuff you know, available. If you have a lot of money, Christ-likeness cannot be purchased. No amount of money will make your soul be renewed into the way of Jesus. Like, money has some benefits in life, right? Yes. Somebody's like, honest, amen. <laughs> but money, money cannot make us like Jesus. Change does not take place through influence. This is a big one in our culture today. Especially in the youngest generation where everybody wants to be an influencer. Christ-likeness is not the same as influence. Influence. You could be charismatic, right? There's, there's Christian leaders that are charismatic. They have a lot of influence. Doesn't mean they're like Jesus. I think of that in my life. I'm like, oh God, I'm so grateful for all the opportunities that you give me. Like to speak into the life and the soul and the heart and the core of people. But ultimately, Jesus, that, that is not your ultimate goal in my life. Help me never to be blinded by that being the ultimate goal that I perceive for my life. Help me always to see clearly that the ultimate goal of my life is not influence. It's not speaking. It's not writing. It's not being on social media. It's becoming like Jesus. You and I can have influence if you're in the younger generation and not be like Jesus. We can have influence. Christian influence. People would be like, "Whoa, look at look what you're saying about the Lord on social media, right? Look at all the things that you're doing for Jesus, and still not be like Jesus." So let's become like Jesus, Amen. The big picture answer around change is this: in Scripture, the way of Jesus, how we taught, particularly Matthew chapter five uh, through seven, the Sermon on the Mount all true change occurs from the inside out. All true change occurs from the inside out. That essentially is the meta theme of the Sermon on the Mount. So how does this work into our life? If, if God wants to change us from the inside out, how does that take place? Four things. Write them down. So important. Valuable. Reminders. Or maybe this is new tonight. First of all, Change does take place through a relationship with Jesus. Now, let me paint a picture, because this is the book of Galatians. I remember my second year of New Testament Greek in graduate school. We literally studied the entire book of Galatians, every word, every phrase, uh, all the arguments and transitions of Paul in this book. And let me just give you a summary of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a defense of the good news of Jesus, also called the gospel. And what he's trying to do here is he's trying to influence the Christian community, the church, in this region of the Roman Empire, saying this, I want you guys to truly believe in the gospel and be in a right and thriving relationship with Jesus. I, I want you to get the right gospel and I want you to thrive in your relationship with Jesus. Let me just show you a couple of passages. Galatians chapter one, uh, verse six. He says in chapter one, verse six, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel. Like go back to Jesus His death and resurrection. That is the heart of the gospel. That is the message of the gospel. Get back to that church in Galatia. Then chapter 2, verse 20. Let me show you again. This is the heart of this book. Chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me this is the message of the book of galatians believe in the right gospel live out the way of jesus christ formed in you living by faith loving him because he loved you look at galatians chapter three verses one through three he says you foolish galatians now this was like a pastoral rebu- rebuke from paul who has bewitched you Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Very similar language to chapter 5 because this is his message. Turn back to Jesus as portrayed in the gospel. how about a few more? Chapter four, verse 19. Chapter four, verse 19, he says, my dear children, for, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth, he's like, I love you. I want you to get this until Christ is formed in you. Like, I feel like I'm in the pains of childbirth, Paul says. He really doesn't know what that pain is like, right? Yeah. But he's like, as a leader and a pastor, I feel like I'm in childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I want you to thrive in your relationship with Jesus. But you can't thrive in your relationship with Jesus if you depart from the gospel of Jesus. And then finally, look at chapter 5, verse 24. This is, again, like book bookend context He says in verse 24, after he describes the fruit of the Spirit, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The entire book of Galatians is, be in a healthy, thriving, right relationship with Jesus through faith in the gospel. And this is the whole threaded context leading up to chapter five, which means that chapter five is telling us that the essence, the heartbeat of change is our life rooted in a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is the foundation for becoming the person that God created you to become. This is where you reconnect with the one who created you. I put it this way, you... You have to know your creator to become like your creator. He created us in his image and his likeness. And we can't become like that, disconnected from a thriving, uh, abiding relationship with him. It's that relationship over years and years, invested, that we look back and we say, wow, I am different. I am changing. It might be micro steps, but at least it's micro steps. I'm a different person. My values, my views, my relationship orientation, how I worship God, how I treat people over and over throughout the years becomes more like Jesus. When Jesus comes into our life, he loves us the way that we are, but he wants to redeem and renew the image of God in us. That is the very point in our life that this progress toward Christ likeness begins this relationship with Jesus where he's renewing and redeeming the image of God in us helping us to become exactly the person God created us to be you know I'm thinking about change a lot uh, at this point in my life and there's endless amount of books on change They're, they're really popular in culture There's endless psychological studies around how human beings change habits. Endless. You could read them for months and years. And this passage gives us the central idea of change. Humans' change takes place in a thriving relationship with Jesus. Human change is most formative in this relationship this is the center and crux of change in our life and some of us were like you know i've been a christian for a long time all the more to remind ourselves that when when we emphasize being with jesus as the foundation to becoming like jesus we notice that our life more and more reflects the nature of jesus Sometimes we need to slow down though, right? The pace of life, the complexity of life, all the different things that we're juggling in life, and we need to be intentional to say, I'm going to make time every day to be with Jesus. Relationship is center and central Everything else flows out of this. The person that I want to become, the person that God wants me to become, flows out of my intentional time of being with Jesus each and every day. And then the result is I become like Jesus. That's number one. Most foundational point. Number two, verses 19 through 21, an honest awareness of self. An honest awareness of self. Notice what he says here. He's like, the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They're in conflict with one another. We get that. We feel that conflict inside. We feel the mixture of desires in our life, right? Like, sometimes we're like, oh yeah, it's Wednesday night. Like, I'm loving Jesus right now. I'm in harmony with him. I'm desiring the, the way of Jesus. And then... It's like Wednesday night, and I'm like, oh, I feel the flesh warring inside of me. I feel the bent of my soul towards the things that are contrary to Jesus, and that's exactly what he's saying in verses 16, 17, and 18. And then he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He lists all of these lifestyle choices that are contrary to the design of God for our lives. And essentially, here, here's the idea transformation does not take place blindly. The Spirit of God wants to make us aware of those parts of our lives that are contrary to God's design. And if we really want to change, if we really want to grow and become the person that God designed us to become, we have to live honestly in a relationship with Jesus and His people. And this is hard in our culture, right? Like, I feel like there's a narrative, a cultural narrative in our culture that says, put on the self that you want everyone else to see, but hide the person that's really inside of you. Filter everything. Like, that's just not reality. Friends, I am imperfect and flawed. Some people might think, oh, you know, such and such is a spiritual leader, or this person's a pastor, and like, wow, we look at their Instagram, we look at their social media, we watch them teaching sermons, and and this is the person I want to become because they're like almost there, almost perfect, almost just like Jesus. And here's like a news flash. No, we're not, not even close. And I've learned that in order to be healthy, thriving, and growing in my relationship with God and in this change process, I have to just live honestly. I have to tell people, hey, I'm imperfect. I have to talk to my staff and say, I'm sorry about that. I have to say to my wife, you're right. I'm wrong. Yes, I'm going to do that. She said one time, uh, this is Wednesday night, we can just kind of family flow, right? She said one time, she said, Wesley, instead of giving a reason or an answer or a justification, just start saying this. I'll work on that. And I'm like, that's good. I'll work on that. I'll work on saying I'll work on that. And we, in order to become the person God wants us to become, we have to be aware of what's going on truly inside of us. Put it another way, you cannot know how to become the person God wants you to become until you're honest in the present. You have to be honest with God, honest with yourself in the things that need to change in your life. I love John Calvin. He's a famous theologian. He wrote endless books. I don't know how he had the time to preach and write as much as he did, but he was a genius. And he said the two most important things about being a follower of Jesus is this. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. Number one, the knowledge of God. Number two, the knowledge of self. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We have to notice these things in our life when there's like sexual morality or idolatry or hatred or discord or jealousy or selfish ambition or factions when we're dividing people or envy or drunkenness or any other thing that would line up as life contrary to the nature and design of God. We have to be like, God, this is really what's going on. Like, I am bent this way. I am actively participating in these things. I'm noticing the works of the flesh rooted inside of me as patterns of life. I recognize what I'm doing, and I'm beginning to unearth the root behind these patterns of living, and I just want to be honest with you. Here's here's a mindset change. Whenever we fail, whenever we notice ourselves being inclined to the the life according to the flesh, we want to run from God. Because we feel guilt and shame and all of these emotions that somehow wall us up from Jesus. But there's this really important verse in the book of Hebrews that says... Come confidently to the throne of God's grace in time of need. When do I need grace? When I'm feeling imperfect and flawed and sinful and fleshy, fleshly. God doesn't want us to evade him or detach from him. God wants us to honestly bring the reality of our life and the present to him. And he pours out his grace, which motivates us to be changed. We don't don't get motivated to change through shame and guilt. We get motivated to change through the grace and kindness of God at work in our lives year after year after year after year. And this is so important. I just, I just think like, you know, there's this cultural thing, self-awareness, be self-aware. There is a biblical thing called self-awareness that leads to new life, renewal, transformation, Christ-likeness. And I just want to encourage like church as a whole in America, let's, let's weekly come to God and community in an honest way. It will change our lives. So many people in our culture are are searching for deep, meaningful community. We have it, right here in this place. Relationships that can talk on a level that no one else is talking in our culture, that that can deconstruct the, I've gotta be perfect, everything's always good, God bless you, amazing, look at my filtered life reality, which is not reality, it's unreality. We can come and say, God, here I am, just as I am. I need you present in this moment with what I'm going through. Here I am, somebody in this Wednesday night service. This is what I'm processing. This is what I'm struggling with. Can you pray for me? Can you encourage me? I need relationships to thrive, but I need to be honest so that those relationships can thrive. Number three, are you following me? I don't even know how long I've been talking. So just cut me off if I go too long. Number three, a daily decision to walk in the Spirit. A daily decision to walk in the Spirit. Notice the language that he uses here. He says, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes into this whole conflict, the war within us, reality. You're like, Wesley, well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? The term, the verb here, walk, walk in the Spirit, is parapateo. That's a mouthful, right? Let me just simplify it. It means to conduct one's life, to behave. It's like patterns of life, habits of contact, c- uh, conduct, the manner of how we live our life. Think about walking with someone. My wife and I, uh, and my little dog, Lucy, she's five pounds. She's a Chihuahua, Chihuahua, Dachshund, Min Pin, Cheween Pin, I don't know, something like that. So we go walking like for at least 45 minutes a night, sometimes an hour. And it's a beautiful picture. Like when you walk in the spirit, you're journeying in relationship with someone. We have great talks. It's a good time to talk about life. When you're walking, when you're journeying, it's a good time to enjoy life. Walking pictures a journey in relationship with the spirit of God who lives within you. It's a metaphor. So when I'm walking, I'm moving forward, right? Walking is a metaphor of spiritual progress. God's like, I'll go with you. We're going to go on my path, my desires, my creative intent for your life. And it's going to be a journey, but we're journeying in relationship. And as we journey in relationship with one another, there's going to be spiritual progress. You're going to start living in step with the Spirit's desire for your life. The other thing about walking in the Spirit that he talks about here is that it's the antidote to the lust of the flesh. When I'm journeying, when I'm in a relationship with the Spirit, and I'm living in step with His desires, and I'm noticing spiritual progress in my life, more and more, the dominant desires of the flesh are superseded by the dominant desire to walk with the Spirit. One day you were like, oh, you know, I look back in my life and I remember when I was so involved in this thing. And like, I felt the inclination to this thing all the time, right? You remember that. But now... I've been walking with the Spirit for a long time, and I just don't have that same desire anymore. Like, I'm not feeling that sinful bent any longer. Once in a while it will come up, but it doesn't come up as strongly sometimes as it used to when you were invested in that. And here's why. One, it's just God, God at work in your life. But two, all desires can be cultivated. The more we cultivate a desire, the more we're going to desire that thing. But if we don't cultivate that desire, if we don't lean into that desire, that desire's strength begins to fade. And so we get to walk by the Spirit. Can I tell you a little story? Uh, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a non-Christian home. Lots of trauma, pain, hardship, dysfunction. And when I came to Jesus, I knew nothing. I was like, I didn't even know I was supposed to read my Bible. I kept a a Bible, I got at church next to my bed because I thought that was gonna like somehow spiritually help me. I didn't open it. but But I did innately know that prayer was important. So I would talk to God every night. I wouldn't talk to God in the morning. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. But before I went to bed so that like nothing bad would happen to me, I would talk to God. And as, as, as far back as I remember, I heard about walking by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Early on, as I was following Jesus, learning about Jesus, learning about the Bible. And as far back as I can remember, this has been the dominant prayer of my life every single day. Fill me with your Spirit today, God. I want to walk in your Spirit I can't live this day the way that you've designed and created me to live apart from your spirit. So fill me with the spirit of God today. I need the spirit to live out the life you've called me to. That might just be a simple prayer in your life to replicate. That as we're going through life and we have internal Conflict around these things as we're going through life, and maybe some days we feel defeated or we feel like, Wow, I, I'm not changing or becoming like the person I want to become. Just making it a habit to say, Yes, there's mixture in me, yes, I have flesh in the spirit, but I need the spirit to truly live the life God wants me to live today. It's a daily decision to walk in the spirit, and then finally, and you're like, Yes, finally, Wesley. Number four, the growing presence of love in our lives. I I picked this because I believe that when he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love. And then he goes, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I believe that in this context, love occurs first in this context because it is the primary and foundational fruit. In fact, I would go so far to say that love is the chief characteristic of Christian progress and maturity. The term love here means it's agape, right? That's like a Christian thing. People know like the Greek term for love. It's agape. And agape, if you study this term in, you know, outside of the context of Scripture, inside the context of Scripture, here's the idea of agape. Seeking the highest good of another person for their flourishing. Seeking the highest good of another person for their flourishing. This reality is the means by which we measure our spiritual progress and development. Or you could say it this way, love is the metric, right? Some of you, like, you love metrics, you love systems, and you love measuring things. Love is the metric for Christ-likeness. So if we're sitting here today and we're like, maybe I'm having this conversation with myself. Wesley, like, are you becoming the person God wants you to become? Who's, who do you want to become someday? Are you becoming more like Jesus? And I say, I have no idea how to measure that. What does that look like in my life? God would say, are you? You becoming a person of love. Are you becoming a person of love? In fact, John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said this to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. It's a reflection of the way that Jesus loves. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one One another. Like, that's good, right? It's a good word, Jesus. Now, this is God's definition of love. If we measure our spiritual progress, we measure it by this. Over the years, am I becoming more and more a person that reflects the love of Jesus in my life? Is there a growing presence in my relationship with God, in my relationship with others, that love is a dominant characteristic? Uh, I don't know about you, but I I don't always feel like I'm walking in love. I remember recently, uh, my wife had had some medical stuff, and for the first time in a while, she's like, oh, I want to go to the mall to Lululemon. Like, that's a thing, going to Lululemon. It's like prime spot. So we went to Lululemon like late at night because crowds and people she has a hard time with. She has a brain condition. So we went to Lululemon and like it brings her joy. Like Lululemon is a vibe. (laughs) So we're in Lululemon and she finds some stuff she wants and we go up to the cash register. And the person at Lululemon's like, oh, can can I get your phone number for the account? So I give them the phone number and they're like, oh, we can't find it. And then like, what about your email? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's under this email. My wife's email, of course, because, you know, I'm not vibing out as much at Lululemon. (laughs) I go to Nike to vibe out, but so the lady's like, oh, none of those work. I'm like, you sure? We've been using this for years. Like it's got to work. Can you try another way? Is there something shut down in the system? And so the manager came over and she's like, oh, you know, something was wrong with how she, you know, went into the system or what have you. And she pulled it up and we walked out of Lululemon and I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, Hey, you know, like, does this, and Kara's like, I didn't like your interaction there. I didn't feel like that was very loving. And I was like, at first I was like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, what did I do? I was just, you know, asking a question. And then I thought about it at home. I was like, Oh, I was not proactively loving and being kind to that person. I wasn't not loving and being kind to that person, but I wasn't proactively saying, oh, you know, maybe something's wrong or like this person might have a bad day. I was really just trying to figure it out because I know it worked. And I thought, that's really good. Like the next day at church, I told this story and, and, uh, I was like, you know, it's good for us to notice when we're not proactively loving like Jesus. It's good to notice that, right? It's good to be humble enough to say, oh, next time I'm in that situation, I want to make sure that I love as a reflection of the person of Jesus. And you're like, how did Jesus love? He was self-giving. He just gave himself for people. He was humble. Like, it wasn't about him. The guy that could ask to be served for, from all of humanity said, I have not come to be served but to serve you and give my life as a ransom for many. His love was sacrificial in nature. He died. He suffered on behalf of us so that we could flourish spiritually. And he did everything that he did on the cross for the benefit of others. He did nothing on the cross for the benefit of himself. And I'm like, God, that's the person I want to become. I want to be self-giving, humble, sacrificial and live my life for the benefit of others so that they can flourish and be blessed. That is the way of Jesus. All of this stuff, uh, a relationship with Jesus, an honest awareness of self, a daily decision to walk in the spirit and the growing presence of love in our life. All of this stuff is inside out change. And I just wonder tonight if we just pause in the busyness of the frenetic pace of life and all of the distraction that comes into our brains every day through living in a digital world. We just say, God, what are you speaking to me tonight? What do you want to do and form in a beautiful and redemptive way in my life now presently? I want to become that person. I want to be like Jesus. That is the end goal and essence of Christianity. I want to be like Jesus. So here am I. Whatever it is, God, that you want to speak and work into my life, I want to become that person. Whether I've been walking with Jesus for two months or 40 years, I'm still on this journey of spiritual progress, and I still want you to form the nature and person of Jesus into my life more and more. In a state of humility and openness and honesty, Let's open up our lives to what God would speak into us tonight. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy to be here with this amazing group at Calvary Vista. To open up our hearts and our Bibles and just conversate around the most important text in human history. Scripture. Talking about the most important person in human history. Jesus, and talking about the most important thing in our context of life, following and becoming like Jesus. Father, root that into our hearts. God, I just pray that your spirit would be speaking to me. What is it that you want me to hear What is it that you want us to hear individually and collectively in this place tonight? With open hearts and open hands, God, speak to each one of us. And whatever it is that we're processing through, may we bring that to you honestly in a state of authenticity and also with a confidence that your grace and your kindness, God, will meet us just where we are tonight. Bless every single person in this place. Father, we love you and worship you and praise you. And you are the motive and goal of our life. And I pray that that would remain steadfast in each one of us. In Jesus' name.